Good morning and welcome to a new episode of Morning Star Journal. This is Tariq. Even though it is kind of close to the afternoon, I want to thank everyone who's listening and who has listened. And um, just a little bit of quick housekeeping before we get to the main episode. I really do want to really appreciate everyone who's decided to listen to this podcast. I know that I ramble on quite a bit and sometimes I kind of verge off topic, but I usually try to stay on and I hope that um, you appreciate the different episodes, uh, kind of the different flavors and styles that I try to bring and um, hopefully this year I can expand out a little bit more and do a lot more with that. But um, recently, I just uh, kind of looking on Anchor and saw that I actually got over 200 downloads. So that is all um, everyone who's listened. So thank you very much. And if you can hear it in the background, though I had to turn it down a little bit so you could hear me, um, that music is the movie that I would like to talk about today. It is that amazing, awesome 1999 classic movie with Brendan Fraser uh, that also stars Elizabeth Hurley. Yes, I'm talking about Bedazzled. Yes, the one and only Bedazzled where Brendan Fraser is a hapless man who kind of makes a deal with the devil trying to get a girl. And we're going to start this um, actually three-part expose on the nitty-gritty of it. No, we're not going to talk about Bedazzled, even though that would be kind of an interesting show. But no, we are talking about The Mummy. So if you listen to my uh, previous uh, podcast, um, especially the one where um, I talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, I hinted very heavily to The Mummy. Um, in my opinion... The Mummy is a great adventure film, great adventure uh, action film. It's even a really good comedy at a lot of points. Um, I recently uh, rewatched it to kind of get prepared, and there's a lot of different comedy beats that I think it does really well. Now, I am re- reviewing and watching this with very rose-tinted sunglasses, mind you, because it's in the 90s, of course, or should I say rose-tinted visors. But um, I really like this movie, and I hope that after I talk about it, that you have a chance to see it now. Um, it's uh, available, of course, I have it on Blu-ray, it's available on DVD. They actually re-released it on 4K because of the other remake that came out with Tom Cruise, which I will actually get into that one a little bit, because that actually does um, come up with a certain part of this. But... Um, It is available there. It's also right now on Netflix, along with The Mummy Returns and um, the third one, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, which I really didn't care for as much. But they're all available there, so if you want to have a chance to go see it, I definitely recommend it. So, let us get right down into it. So, um, The Mummy. And... So usually what I do is I try to kind of uh, give you a brief description of what it is in case somebody just hadn't seen it before, you know, just curious what it is. So this is straight ripped from the headlines of the back of the DVD. 
deep in the Egyptian desert. A handful of people searching for a long-lost treasure have unearthed the 3,000-year-old legacy of terror. Combining the thrills of the rousing adventure with the suspense of legendary 1932 horror classic The Mummy is a true non-stop action epic filled with dazzling special uh, visual effects, top-notch talent, and superb storytelling. Eh, it was good for the Blu-ray. If I, that I should have came up with something a little bit better like I did for Raiders of the Lost Ark. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to get into a few basics of the movie itself. I'm going to go um, into a little behind the scenes as far as, you know, little things um, behind like that happened during the course of it. And I'm going to talk about the movie itself and why I think it's really one of the great adventure films it doesn't beat Raiders of the Lost Ark but I think it's a great modern version there's you know there's there's something special with what um Spielberg managed to do with uh Raiders I mean a combination of Spielberg John Williams and um, Harrison Ford but I think The Mummy is a really great at least you know uh, more modern rotation and one cool thing about the mummy when I compare to um, Indiana Jones series is that Indiana Jones kind of dealt with things being more real. Um, by that, what I mean is that um, the artifacts were old, but they were also just artifacts. They were links to the past, but they had no, at least for the majority of everybody, you know, within the movie. Uh, the Indian Jones, they didn't really hold power. There's no supernatural element. And the actual ones that, in the, in the actual times where you did see power, either the main, either the antagonists were killed, such as the Nazis and at the end of the um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, or only Indy saw what happened or barely saw what happened. So everyone still thinks, oh, maybe he's just either crazy or he didn't really see that. He must have like, imagined it but they don't believe it whereas the mummy purely dealt with that supernatural like i mean it jumps right off the bat with um you going into this um ancient you know you're in this uh ancient uh egyptian city and they even talk about you know um curses and um you're getting into like uh, the 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 ten plagues of Egypt and all these different you know aspects of it, and um, it just hops you right into that you know sci-fi element. But getting a little bit ahead of myself, um, and also we are going to go into spoilers in this movie. Now it came out in 1999. That's that's almost that's almost 20. We're getting. To the, we're getting real close to being 20 years ago. So, yeah, I. if you hadn't seen it by now, you should have seen it. I know it's probably older than some people because uh, it was 20 years ago back in 1999. But, you know, um, you know there, there will be spoilers here. So let's just kind of jump into it. So the first off, um, The Mummy 1999 is directed by Stephen Summers. Now, I took a look at his portfolio, and there really weren't too many movies before The Mummy that I really knew. Um, the only one that I knew about was The Jungle. He did a Jungle Book remake back in 94. And I had seen that one, but that's about it. Um, afterwards, he would make the uh, sequel to this one, Mummy Returns, 
Also, he did Van Helsink and G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra, which uh, a little mixed on that one, um, which coincidentally also starred both uh, Brendan Fraser and Arnold uh, Vosselo, who was um, the mummy in this one, Emotep. So, uh, Steven Summers was actually not quite the first uh, person who was going to direct it. Uh, when I was looking this up, it looks like they actually had a handful of directors um, that they wanted to go through. So, a little bit of brief history. Back in 90, it looks like back in 92, Universal wanted to make a new remake of the Mummy series. Now, whether they wanted to make it into a uh, full-blown franchise, I don't know about that. But they wanted to bring back the Mummy, but they didn't want to make it too expensive. Actually, they only wanted to spend about $10 million for it. So it was going to be this low-budget horror film. And a couple of names that came up was um Clive Clive Barker they were actually gonna get him to do it and he was gonna kind of do this um because I think he just came off of things like uh Hellraiser and um oh what was that other one uh Candyman so you know they were gonna plan this kind of low budget um horror film but either between Barker's um kind of uh version which i believe it was going to be very dark still filled with mysticism uh but it just kind of fell through with the producers so they didn't go with it another director that it turns out they were going to do was joe dante now joe dante is interesting because i looked him up turns out he, uh, some of his movies that he did were like gremlins inner space uh the burbs and small soldiers so you can almost tell, like, with those kind of films, um, he was going for the, probably still the horror, but I think he, they were going for the the family horror, in a sense. Um, like, the group that you can take your family to, so it wouldn't be, it'd be scary, but not too gory. Then again, a lot of the movies back then were kind of like that. They were, there was a lot of scary movies, but they weren't gory movies. Um, so they were still kind of, so it looks like they were still thinking of the, you know, focusing on the horror, even with that director. And he actually had Daniel Day-Lewis was um, going to be the brood and mummy. So <laughs> you can imagine how that would have turned out. Um, another one that turned, that also I found very funny was... Uh, George A. Romero, uh, and you might know his work is that he does a lot of the zombie films, like Night of the Living Dead. And he had one of the most, when I got a chance to see his rendition of it, he had one of the most, um, I would have to say, bizarre, well not bizarre, but it's very interesting. So I'm going to read a little bit of what his take was. Uh, let's see, because he completed, and again, this was in 94, so you could tell Universal really, they really wanted it, but they really didn't want to spend too much on it. So, let's see. So, Romero's script revolved around a female archaeologist, Helen Grover, and her discovery in Abydos, I'm probably saying that wrong, of the tomb of Emotep. 
an Egyptian general who lived in the time of Ramesses II, unfolding in a nameless American city, so that's the difference, it would have taken place in America, in modern times too, also interesting, the events are set in motion when Imhotep inadvertently awakens as a result of his preserved cadaver having been exposed to rays from an MR, MRI scan at a high-tech forensic archaeology lab now that makes sense because um they did a lot of if you can remember if you ever get a chance to see a lot of movies back in the um early the 90s and the 80s that's kind of how they did horror movies is that usually something was brought they it was always done in america because i think it was like it was still very expensive and especially in the 90s there were a lot of places that were uh, let's just say not going through um uh, not going through uh, uh very good political times and you know trying to move in and out even just making a film wasn't exactly the easiest so uh, it seems like a lot of films what they did was they would just um take something where you know they would just move something over to America that way they can film it here and then just um and then that's where the story would take place, even though it would dealt with either something from ancient Egypt or China or Japan or Russia or whatever. It would just be brought to America. But anyway, kind of going on. Uh, see, the script progresses to a fish-out-of-water story when Emotep, having regained his youthful appearance, recognizes the need to adapt to a contemporary society that is 3,000 years removed from the one he came from. Assuming at first that he is a representative from the Bureau of Antiquities, Helen, our archaeologist, finds herself drawn to a tentative relationship with Emotep while also experiencing clairvoyant flashbacks to a previous life of the 19th Dynasty Egypt as the priestess of Isis. Now that's kind of interesting because if you know The Mummy Returns, that kind of happens with the um, Evelyn character, Rachel Weiss's character, where she actually starts to get um, these quick visions of her previous life as uh, Nef Nefertiri, the princess of um, Seti, the main um, uh, pharaoh from, of course, the first one. Uh, so it was interesting that, that they, they they didn't take this uh, script at all from uh, George Romero, but they, there's some aspects that they actually did incorporate later. Anyway, summoning mystical powers through incantation, Emotep later resurrects the mummy Karis, a loyal slave whose body had been resting alongside his masters in the same tomb, but is now held in the local museum. After escaping in the sewer system, Karis embarks on a vengeful rampage against the various criminal fences of high society uh, uh, antiquarians, I'm probably saying that word wrong, who acquired stolen relics from his tomb. Another trope I note that, kind of looking back, I noticed in um, old movies back in the 90s and 80s was that yeah, they always wanted to involve gangs for some reason. Like, for for no apparent reason, like, the local gang, whether it be a street gang, mafia gang, whatever, there would always be, like, a local gang that gets involved. Now, sometimes it would be, like, 
you know, they it would be because just like local, local kids, so they would help out. Or they'd be the local bad guys and then, you know, give them a reason to kind of hunt them down. Whatever reason. Always seems to do that on a lot of the older movies. Uh, Romero's script was considered... Oh, sorry. Uh, was the page for defenses? Rogue's Tomb. Okay. Uh, Romero's script was considered too dark and violent by the producers in the studio who wanted a more accessible picture, which I think that's what kind of got him over to Steven Summers. So let's jump into like Steven Summers. Now, when he decided to take the mummy back in, uh, I think it was in 97 when he finally, um, was able to, um, when he convinced him to, he pretty much pitched them Indiana Jones. I mean, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He had an idea of combining elements of like Indiana Jones, Jason of the Argonauts, and this kind of high adventure. And not only did he convince them that, that on this kind of bigger scale where it would take place in Egypt and, you know, have this adventure where they're collecting items, going back and forth, they even upped the budget. So, at this point, they were going to at least give $15 million. They actually upped it to $80 million for them. So that's kind of a note to, like, to think about that, that if you're ever, if you ever wanted to pitch something, like whether, let's say if you're writing a book like my good friend David, or if you're pitching it to, uh, pitching a series somewhere, just hit your idea. I mean, if you have a solid idea, Hit your idea. Even if they say, oh, we're only looking at this, you never know. You never know where they might say, that is an awesome idea, and we need to give you more money to actually put it to uh, put it to pass. So, just goes to show you, and look what it turned out. So, um, so we have Steven Summers, and he decide, you know, he gives them this idea for this full adventure movie. Uh, the music is actually done by Jerry Goldsmith, and you might know him. Uh, he has had a crazy filmography. Um, he has been active on music soundtracks since from 1951 up until 2004, and he has done so. Just to name a few of the soundtracks and music that he's been part of. He's been part of most of the Star Trek series, including movies and uh, Next Generation and Voyager. So he's been part of both of the movies and TV shows. Secret of Nim, Supergirl, Poltergeist, Gremlins, speaking that again, Simpsons, Rambo, and the original Man from U.N.C.L.E. So you've got a really, a really good known um, uh, music composer uh, that's creating the music that you hear in, a little bit in the background, and the music is pretty solid. And you got this director who's, um, you know, kind of coming in pretty fresh. I, like I said, some of his early work I just hadn't heard of, but he's got this really cool idea of bringing Indiana Jones, which, if you think about it, really hadn't been done except for, you know, maybe Romance in the Stone, if you think about that far back. But, you know, that kind of um, adventure hasn't been around for a good while, and people are kind of really hungry for uh, a new take on it. And using the mummy, like I said, use uh, have, uh, leaning on that supernatural element is a lot, you know is a lot more fun. 
Now we need our leads. And when I was looking at this, I was surprised to see how many different leads. Now, it's really a who's who of, you know, different leads for this movie. You have Tom Cruise, who, funny enough, would end up being in the remake that they later bring out. And I think it was 2016. I may be wrong or kind of off on that one, but... I do know it did. They they sure tried. Oh, no, sorry. 2017. That's right. I think it was last uh, year before last. So, yeah, it came out and, oh, let's say did not care too well for that uh, that remake, uh, Mummy. I think they, um, they did well with this one and the first sequel, but uh, the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor and... Uh, the remake, The Mummy, in 2017, not so much. But um, so here are some of the names, which I was like, holy cow. So you got Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. Um, let's see, who else? Um, at, at a point, now these now those were the people I think that were... That they had tried, that they had actually tried to get. These Now, these names I'm going to go over are people that were actually considered, but they didn't, weren't able to really gain negotiation. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Chris O'Donnell, Matthew McConaughey, Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Campbell, and Kurt Russell. I mean... Just look to uh, was it Big Trouble Little China to see how that would have turned out. That would have made it an interesting movie. But even with like all of them, I can't imagine anyone but Brendan Fraser in this role. Because um, one of the things they say is that when he did the audition, he had this Errol Flynn, uh, a swashbuckling hero, uh, kind of vibe to him. And hey, I definitely agree with that. And it's funny, even thinking of all these different actors around that time period, um, this was probably, and I think this was um, the first time I'd really seen Brendan Fraser. Now, I had kind of known, you know, I had seen the actor in the, because um, Georgia's Jungle was just out before this, and I think uh, Encino Man was another one. That was before this. So those were kind of known to me, but I really didn't care for him as an actor until this. Like, this one really took me so much that I almost wished they, like, <laughs> let's say when they were, um, when I'd heard of, like, uh, they were going to make a new Star Wars, I kind of wanted Brendan Fraser in there because I was like, man, if you wanted to either, you know, have a new Han Solo or um, or maybe even just a Han Solo type character, you couldn't go wrong with Brendan Fraser, at least back then, in my opinion. Um, since we're going into the actors, we'll also go into um, the lovely and talented Rachel Weisz. And she plays Evelyn, the... Um, Egyptologist and very intelligent, but also a little bit clumsy. I absolutely loved her character and I uh, loved her character in this one and her progression in the second one. And that's probably one of the reasons why I don't care for the third as much because they did get a new actress uh, for the character Evelyn. But not only that, 
the actress played it differently. Now, she was pretty much told to play it differently, so there's no, you know, harm there. And I forget the actress's name, but she's really good. But the thing is, I liked Rachel's take on her. I liked just her style on it. And when you don't have that anymore, that really is depressing. And funny enough, they actually based Evelyn's character off of a real Evelyn. I didn't uh, know this. But at the time, um, Evelyn's character was actually based on a woman named Lady Evelyn Lenora um, um, uh, let's say this wrong, Almina Bel, uh, Bocamp, who was the real-life daughter of George Herbert, 5th Earl of Car- Car- uh, I was gonna say, uh, Carnivon, who, actually, who was an um, explorer who discovered Tutankhamen, uh, King T- uh, Tutankhamun's tomb in 1922. So it's kind of cool that they based her character off of the daughter of a real-life explorer. And when you watch the movie, it does kind of come up when she's talking with um, uh, Rick and or uh, Brendan Fraser's character, and she actually mentions that her father was a great explorer. So it kind of, like, um, uh, hints to that. And it's funny when I was reading this that um, initially Rachel Wise really wasn't really big on a horror film. But when she, I guess when they actually showed it, they said, oh, well, it's not really a horror film. It's more of a comic book world. And if you think about it, yeah, it is. I mean, uh, The Mummy really is almost like a comic book world. You could almost throw it. It's funny. You could take The Mummy script, throw in like a superhero. It could be like uh, (laughs) Hawkeye's Adventure in Egypt, and it would actually still work almost. Um, so we also have, uh, we're going to get to Imhotep in a moment, and that's our main mummy character, but we also have John Hanna, who plays, um, jo- who plays Jonathan, her brother. And Jonathan is just a, a character on his own. Um, uh, he kind of plays this, uh, most of the time drunk, but just eccentric brother. And there's a lot of beats with, between him and, uh, Evelyn, Rachel's character, where, like, you can, in my opinion, you can tell, uh, or you can see the brother-sister kind of relationship. There's, if you have a, if you have, a, um, you know, a brother-sister, you could, you, you know, you sometimes, you, you have this kind of shorthand with your, um, siblings where, like, you know, either, you know, both of y'all see something and you're both annoyed by it or you both find it funny and you just, you share a look or you just kind of share a quick sigh and, or, you know, like a certain situation pops up. It's like, you know what to do. You don't even have to say anything. You just kind of look, have that, you know, you, you give that nod and both of you just go into action. And, and like I said, when you watch the movie, you see it, you really see it in both of them. So I really enjoyed his character. Um, and then, of course, we have our main character, Emotep, played by Arnold uh, uh, Arnold Voslo. And it's funny because um, one of the things with, with him is that when he was asked to play it, um, he, he basically agreed only if he can play it straight. Because if, when you watch the movie, you notice that 
even if that plays it straight throughout the whole thing. I mean, he may kind of smile when he thinks the situation's kind of funny, but for the most part, he's serious through the whole thing. And this is uh, serious because he loved uh, this woman, Anak Sunamun, who was the, um, at the time, to- at his time, was the uh, mistress of the uh, pharaoh. And no one else was supposed, no one else touched her, but they loved each other. And it's kind of sweet. Until the point where they they actually kill the pharaoh. So, you know, sweet up to a moment. But you can tell that he really loves her. So much that when she, after, after he was able to get away, um, but she was kind of cornered by the guard, she kills herself. He actually attempts to bring her back to life. Um, so as uh, uh, Evelyn says at one point, oh, it's very romantic. Although he does bring the ten plagues of Egypt and is killing uh, everyone around her. So, uh, maybe not so sweet. Maybe not so Romeo and Juliet. Um, another uh, character we have uh, also making his debut is Odette Fair uh, playing Ardette Bay. Who is one, he's, the, he's the main uh, Magi protector in the... Um, and the main story, who helps uh, Rick and Jonathan um, trying to fight the mummy. And one of the things that I was kind of watching in the uh, commentary, which also I'd recommend that if you do decide to get the DVD or Blu-ray, it has, a com- it has like three different commentaries. One from the director and producer, um, or I think it's the director and the maybe a cinematographer, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, but it's the director of somebody else. But there's another comment, a separate commentary with uh, Brendan Fraser, and then another one with um, I think it's John, Hannah, and uh, it doesn't say on the back here. But there's another one with John Hannah, and I think um, Ar- Arnold uh, Vosloo. So you get a lot of different perspectives of the movie um, watching those. But anyway. Um, from the uh, from the commentary, he says that um, his, his character Art at Bay was actually supposed to die. So there's a point in the movie where um, the mummy has taken Evelyn because he thinks that basically he's come back. He's killed. Uh, they broke. So. Jump! I'm jumping around the whole movie, so this is going to happen. Um, when they take uh, the items from his tomb, he kills everyone who took the items and who took the book. Um, the Book of the Dead, which I did post a picture of it on my coffee table. Sort of on my coffee table. and um, <laughs> But um, when he uh, after he kills them and he becomes... Or looks human. I'll say he looks human. He really is still this kind of undead creature in a sense. But he takes Evelyn because he wants to use her as a sacrifice to bring back his love, Anaxo Moon. Because it, at least in the first film, he remind, uh, she reminds him of her. Now, that's funny if you count the second film in which... Uh, Evelyn is the long-lost descendant of Nefertiri, who was the daughter of the pharaoh. Um, now, 
you don't see her in the first film. In the second film, uh, Mummy Returns, they kind of retcon showing that she was on a uh, another balcony watching. Because when the movie initially opens up, it's back in ancient Egypt times. I think in like uh, 1290 BC. And um, Emotep and Anaximun are um, have met, are you know, are meeting in this room and they share a kiss. Uh, but then the pharaoh comes in, and he quickly, uh, Emotep quickly hides, and the pharaoh comes in, sees an ox in the moon, but notices her uh, paint, her body paint on her arm is smeared. And he demands, who's touched you? Because no one was supposed to touch you. That's when Emotep comes up behind him, takes his sword, but then as he's surprised to see him, she takes a, she slips a dagger and stabs the pharaoh. And then Emotep, then he continues, and he slashes his hair, and they just, you know, pummel him. Um, so that's how the scene breaks in the first movie. In Returns, what they do is that they show, um, there's a scene where uh, Nefertiri and Anax and Amun actually have a little bit of a um, contest, a battle, to see who's going to be the protector of a certain artifact. I won't go into detail on it. But anyway, after their battle at that night, uh, Nefertarius kind of just uh, standing on another balcony as she sees the whole scene play out. And it's funny because she calls the Magi, who uh, when she first sees them kissing and then see her father and sees her father come in she calls the magi to go into the room and then that causes the magi to that when you see them in the first film so that's an interesting way they kind of retconned it but anyway what i find it funny though is that and they do show that he knew her he'd seen the daughter he'd seen Nefteri and he'd seen Ox and the Moon but he was into Ox and the Moon so you would think that when he saw Evelyn he, he saw her as the daughter, so maybe it was his way of getting back at the pharaoh. I don't know. So I just found it kind of funny when he, you know, kind of recounts where you know just where the story went later. But anyway, um, but you have um, and then one other uh, Odette Fair, like I said, is the Magi, and he was supposed to die, but they really oh sorry, and see, I get off track. So as um, after Emotep takes Evelyn, they're taking, he's taking her back to the temple so that he can sacrifice her. See, I got off track. I love this movie so much. I just get off, I just go off tangents on this whole movie. But, um, as Emotep is taking, um, Evelyn back, Rick, Jonathan, and Odette now, or Ardeth, Ardeth, sorry, are also making their way back into the temple to get her back. Also, they're going to be searching for um, the Book of Amun-Ra to help stop him. And at one point, the um, Emotep has raised other mummies to kind of stall our heroes. And our death uh, seemingly sacrifices himself to hold off a bunch of the mummies so that Rick and John can go and save her. And then that's kind of the last we see as a lot of other stuff plays out. They defeat the mummy and uh, escape, but the temple like collapses on itself. 
But in the very end, he shows up. He kind of like touches uh, John's hand for one last jump scare for the fans. And then, you know, he kind of goes off. And, of course, we see him again in the second movie. But um, the director actually says that he was supposed to die. But I think um, Ardette just uh, just won over audiences in general. So they liked him so much that they kept him, they, they actually kept him alive. So they showed him in the end. Um, interesting side fact, both, um, Adept Fair and, uh, Arnold Voslow both ended up playing villains on the TV show Charmed back in the 2000s. So that's kind of an interesting little tidbit. Um, let's see what else I want to talk about this one. Um, another uh, kind of fascinating thing on this movie is that the opening dialogue. Now, when the movie first starts off with the Universal logo and then it shows this brilliant um, kind of like CG effect of ancient Egypt, which is done really nicely. Um, there's a narration that's telling us about uh, the city of Thebes and, you know, goes into Imhotep. Originally, it was going to be Imhotep. It was going to be Arnold saying or giving us the narrative. But the director started thinking, you know, well, Imhotep really wouldn't speak English. Even if, even if this is mainly for the audience, he wouldn't be talking English to us. So they changed it to... Um, our death instead is actually telling us, which is a nice thing because then once we get into the, I, I say modern, this you know it's nineteen twenty six or uh, starts in nineteen twenty three, of course moves in nineteen twenty six. But when we get to the main story, um, you know we get to the Magi who in ancient Egypt was the uh, pharaoh's bodyguards, but in the more modern time, it's they're the kind of like unofficial protectors to make sure that no one try, no one does basically exactly what Evelyn and Rick end up doing and raising the mummy. Um, so that's kind of a cool thing that they they changed it to him. They changed it to him instead, which makes more sense, of course. Um, also, another thing that I found out that uh, there's a point where um, so. Uh, in the very beginning, Rick is uh, part of a, a, a foreign legion who set up camp in Hamanatra, and they're being attacked by bandits. And he manages to, unfortunately, his entire legion is killed. Um, another character that I actually forgot to mention, Benny, who's um, as most, um, uh, I think the classification they would call him is a uh, excuse my language, a shit weasel. Uh, he's this cowardly uh, character who uh, basically looks out only for himself. He actually ends up um, helping a uh, foreign group of Americans try to get to the tomb before Rick and Evelyn does. And he actually ends up, and then when the mummy comes out, he's able to uh, speak um, uh, Hebrew. So, uh, or... Yeah, I think so. I think it's Hebrew, but he's able to speak a language that um, Emotep recognizes and he figures he's going to use him. And he actually sides with Emotep for a while. So uh, he's he's a little, he's a weasel, basically. And brilliantly played by uh, Kevin uh, J. O'Connor. And he's actually with him at uh, in the beginning point. Um, he 
ends up kind of like um, during the during the attack initially, he hides uh, and leaves Rick kind of like to face everybody. And um, eventually they're scared off because the place is cursed. And they'll find out more about that later. But um, Rick is the only survivor, basically. And when we meet Evelyn, um, they find him in prison. and But he knows how to get to Hamanoptera because uh, they had a map which was strategically burnt by the curator of the museum, who, spoiler, is actually with the Magi. He actually tries to help keep the secret. Uh, So when Evelyn first shows him the map, he kind of holds it close to the flame, just a little bit too close. It's like, oh, it's burning. What a surprise. Um, Fun fact, in that one, he was supposed to also reach for the key that would later be used to open the book. But they... um, but they said like that was a little bit too much. They didn't want to tip their hand too much in how involved he was in the beginning. So you can kind of see where he would have made for a play, but they were like, no, let's hold back a minute because we want to make it a kind of surprise. Um, but anyway, Rick is actually in prison. He's about to be hanged. <laughs> it's funny because he's like, oh, he's about to be hanged. Um, when he first meets him, Evelyn's like, so what's he in for? He said he was just looking for a good time. And she's like, where are you taking him to be hanged? Because apparently he had a very good time. <laughs> Which is part of the comedy that I just find just hilarious throughout the whole film. And he's being hanged. And fortunately, when, when, or fortunately for him, when the rope drops, um, it doesn't. Snap his neck, so he's struggling for a little bit. And then Evelyn tries to negotiate fast enough so that they can just cut him down, and eventually she does. But apparently on set, fortunately, Brendan Fraser did pass out at some point. So they were, um, so that was a pretty dangerous stunt they tried to pull. And it turned, and I guess it was him, you know, it was him hanging on there. So you can imagine it's very dangerous sometimes doing these movies. Um, another standout is when we first meet Evelyn, I mentioned that she's clumsy, uh, cause in the very beginning, she's in the library, she's sorting all these books and she's on this, um, tall ladder trying to place these books. And as she's placing some of the books, she gets one that's a letter over a shelf over. So instead of kind of climbing down and goes, she just tries to reach over to put another one. But as she reads over, she ends up turning the ladder upright. And she's tried to balance in it without falling. Now, uh, a fun moment, if you look closely enough, and the director says this, if you look close enough, every time you see, not a close-up, but it far away, where you can actually see the ladder, you can see the floor and the ladder upright, and she's on there, it's not her. It's a stuntman in drag that looks like her. And they just voice, oh, they just, uh, uh, was it, um, I believe it's called a ADR, where they just kind of like put her voice over the sound so you can still hear her voice. And she eventually loses her balance and 
ends up like leaning on one of the bookcases and falls to the ground. And as she does that, that bookcase topples over and ends up doing this long domino effect that knocks over every bookcase in the room. And it's pretty cool scene. It's done in, uh, they actually film it in one take and it was done all in one take. And at the end of it, um, and if you watch it, when you see the person on the ladder, who's a stuntman, it's a stuntman who's on the ladder who hits the bookcase and falls. And slowly moves out of sight for Rachel as Evelyn to then move into it. So once it's all complete, she stands up and it's like, oh. <laughs> and it just shows her that she's brilliant but very clumsy. And that's one of the things that I really liked about this movie was that they, the hero, the for the most part, the hero is Rick, but it's really her too. And they really do complete each other. This movie for me was a complete package because it had the adventures I like from the 90s. Um, it has a romance that I think really works well because Rick is this, you know, dashing hero. He's a soldier. He's a fighter. He's quick on his feet. Um, you know, can, you know, really assess if the situation goes crazy. But he's not very smart. And sometimes he doesn't know how to play the long game or have a real good plan. That's where Evelyn comes in. Evelyn is brilliant. I mean, she's a very smart Egyptologist. She can read hieroglyphics. She can speak Egyptian. She's able to decipher not only the book, but ways to counter the book and where to find the book of Amun-Ra when they initially find the book of the dead. Um, she gets, She saves him twice because when they're on the boat, they're attacked by the, Mag the Magi. And at one point here, they're standing next as he's trying to reload. And this guy from afar is shooting through the uh, wall that they're standing next to. And he, Rick's reloaded the gun. And she notices the bullets are going through right near his head. And as they get closer, she quickly pulls him to the side where a hole went through where his head was. And I think a fun fact, it did actually brush his ear and... Uh, Ben Fraser didn't know about it when it happened. Like it, it he he didn't realize that that whatever the uh, effect was actually going to be that close. So <laughs> I thought that was pretty hilarious. And not only that, there's also a lot of instances like when um, when they're finally cornered and Emotep is kind of fully formed. He, you know, demands you know give me her. And, you know, I'll let you live. And they're cornered because he's he's also, like, brainwashed, like, um, like a, a bunch of the townsfolk and stuff. So they've surrounded him. And he can't think of a move. And she goes, okay, I'm going to go with him. And at first, you know, Rick's like, no. She's like, no, do this. You're going to be around. You can save me. But if he turns me into a mummy, you're the first one I'm coming after. But you're going to have time. And, of course, they speak in English because, and that's the whole thing, was that Emotep is ancient Egyptian. He doesn't know English. So they can speak right in front of him, and he doesn't know a 
thing thing that he's saying. So which is kind of cool. But it kind of shows that she's smart enough to see the long game. And I think she plays a really good um, female character. Now, you know, this is coming from a guy. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But I'd like to know from any, um, any women who do listen to this show... Uh, if you watch The Mummy, what do you think of Evelyn? Do you think she's a strong character? I say she is. Um, even though the movie in general doesn't have any other females other than her. Kind of like the Star Wars uh, problem about that one. But, um, but I think she does a really good job. And like I said, she completes the, the whole hero motif because she's the other half to Rick. Without her... He's pretty much dead. Like, they're pretty much all dead without her. Because she, um, even though, eh, even though she does kind of bring the mummy back, um, she is the one who does end up do, uh, putting the final na- the final spell to really uh, take him out. Um, she helps him find Hamnatra in the first place. Find where the Book of Amun Ra really is. So, I think she's, you know, just as much a hero as, as he is. And Jonathan is just a is just a fun, you know, comic relief. He, he's a really good comic relief. He's a good comic relief, I would say. Even though I think a lot of people don't care for his character too much, I think he brings a, a, a quirkiness and a funness. And it's so funny because he initially comes into story with the uh, key and the map. Now, he tells Evelyn initially, yeah, I um, got this at a dig down in Thebes. But when the map's burnt and with the part of the map that shows Hamnatra, that's when they have to get Rick because he was actually there. And then that's when he tells him, yeah, I actually picked his pocket. <laughs> so not exactly got it on a dig. But um, And uh, when he first meets him, he, uh, Rick's kind of like, you know, you really look familiar. Just like, no, no, no. I've got one of those faces. And when he realizes who he is, he hits him real quick and knocks him out. And later on, when they're about to, after uh, Evie's kind of saved him from being hanged, and they decide to take this trip to Hamanatra, they're working together now. Uh, you know, he uh, John Jonathan pats him on the chest. He goes, um, it's like splendid day for an adventure. Hey, O'Connell, and he kind of like yeah, dashing, and he looks in his pocket to make sure his wallet's still there. He's like, no, 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 I would never steal from a partner. And Rick's like, uh huh, yeah, okay, oh yeah, and uh, no hard feelings about the punch. He's like, oh no, no, happens all the time. Uh, it's, it's those subtle moments that I think is just amazing that you don't find a lot of movies, and. This has gone on way longer than I thought, well, as long as I thought it was. So let me hit a couple of uh, great moments that I thought was fun. Um, in the very beginning where um, Rick's whole company is being shot at, uh, the uh, or just before the attack, the commanding officer decides to turn tail and run. And then Benny looks at him and goes, you just got promoted. <laughs> um, I talked about the prison sequence. Oh, there's a whole bit that throughout the whole movie he keeps on saying goodbye, Benny. When he, he he meets him on the boat after he abandoned him earlier, he actually throws him off the side. Um, there's a couple other sequences where he's like they're racing and Benny tries to hit him a couple of times with the uh, spur, and uh, Rick O'Connor ends up throwing him off his camel. Uh, and then, of course, at the very end, where um, Benny's already betrayed him and stuff, and 
um, the temple is collapsing. And as he's getting everyone out, Benny kind of is a little bit slower. And before he can pull him through this last opening, the chamber closes. And there's a more solemn just goodbye, Benny. And you can all, you could hear that, you know, in this case, he knows Benny's not coming back. And if you watch the movie, you know that, yeah, after that point, Benny doesn't come back. Um, when they're on the, during the attack on the boat, um, Evelyn is actually caught off guard because she's just in her, um, kind of like night, uh, night dress and, uh, they're kind of on the side. He, and Rick goes there, can you swim? And she's like, of course I can if the occasion calls for it. And he just picks her up and like, well, the occasion calls for it. It throws her off the side. Um, on the same note, um, the warden from the prison who, after Evelyn convinces, uh, you know, wants to te- go along to make sure, you know, everything goes in and you can guess. Since I hadn't talked much about him, you can kind of guess his uh, his fate in this movie. Uh, there's a point where the boat's burning because Magi just attacked it. Um, and he goes up to Rick and goes, uh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Rick looks at him and goes, wait right here. I'll go get help. And he jumps off the side of the boat. And after he jumps, the warden is still standing there for a good 10 seconds, just like looking around until he realizes, oh, and then he follows. And it's, like I said, it's hilarious. Um, and of course, one of the uh, great lines uh, Evelyn says when she's talking, uh, she's drunk and and she's you know she's talking about her father who was an explorer um her and and uh her father married a mother who was a little bit of an adventurer and then you know uh rick's like yeah you know what i get your father i get your mother and i get him pointing to jonathan but what are you even doing here? This is while they're camped at Hamanatra. And she gets upset. She says, like, I may not be an explorer or an adventurer or a treasure seeker or a gunfighter, Mr. O'Connell, but I am proud of what I am. A librarian. <laughs> and he just like, okay. <laughs> It is also, and then right after that, there's a tender moment where in the prison, when he was just trying to get out of it, meets her for the first time, he kind of steals a quick kiss. Um, and then, you know, up in this point, they've kind of spent some time and you see this little bit of relation kind of brewing and he's like, um, and when she kind of falls from her uh, uh, soapbox moment, he looks, he goes, you know, she goes, um, I'm going to kiss you, Mr. O'Connell. And she, he's like, mm, call me Rick. But as she's about to kiss her, she just kind of passes out and falls asleep. And he just goes, just shakes his head. He's like, oh, well. And kind of puts her to the and just kind of covers her up and lets her sleep it off. And it's just kind of, you know, just a sweet moment. And the last bit that I'll say, which is just hilarious, is um, as they're trying to run out of the museum, uh, John is just like, uh, they're, they're, 
they're uh, they're faced with uh, Emotep's mob, and Javid is about to get um, hit by all these spears. And all of a sudden, he turns around and just starts chanting Emotep, Emotep. And as he's chanting it, it makes the other mob start chanting and just walk by him. And he just lets him walk by, and he goes gets the car. Like I said, it's just hilarious. The movie's just full of those moments. But I am running on my normal hour with uh, Anchor, so I want to say, if you haven't watched it, you definitely need to watch um, The Mummy. It's great. It's fun. You're going to have a laugh of it. It's on Netflix right now, so, you know, you got a, you got about an hour and a half to kill. Go ahead, put it in. Graphics, eh, you know, don't hold up as well, you know, given it's 20 years old, but you're going to have a fun time with it. I've got a lot of cool things planned. I know I didn't play in the beginning like I normally do, but I've got something I plan for next week. Um, given, you know, the month and everything. So, um, hopefully I've got some, uh, good episodes coming and I, again, I appreciate everyone who's listening. Please, if you have a chance, um, you know, give me your feedback. You can leave me voice messages here, or you can see me a message on Instagram, Twitter, um, on my Facebook page, as well as, um, send me an email at the morningstarjournal at gmail.com. Thank you very much. I hope everyone has a great week and peace.